Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and... uh, what that looks like, how you can seek it, where you can find it. It's not in a location. It's not a particular place. Uh, it's a particular way. It's a way in which to live, and it's a way in which to interact with the world. It's a way with in which to be the government of God on earth. You know, we have the, a number of people, millions probably, going out there and saying, well, his kingdom's not here. It's not on the earth. It's after you die. Christ said it was for the living, not for the dead. Uh, he said it was at hand. He told Pontius Pilate it was not of his world, using a word that means constitutional order or system of government, because it was a separate government, as we see later on the apostles saying there is another king, one Jesus. And he appointed the kingdom, he took it away from the Pharisees, and he gave it to other Jews who would preach that gospel all over the world, to the Gentiles, to everyone who were willing to follow the way of Christ. But now a lot of people talk about believing in Christ, but they're not being told the way of Christ. And it's really not that complicated. It's really very simple. But we've got hundreds and hundreds of audios now that are explaining all the little ins and outs of the kingdom in relationship to day-to-day life and dealing with the world, dealing with other uh, governments that are not of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not of those governments. Those governments are separate. They provide a different sort of purpose and uh, they have a different sort of way. What happens in society, in the world today, in on the planet is and has been happening for thousands of years, maybe even more than thousands of years, is that men follow certain patterns of thinking that are not conducive to the way of God. They're not even conducive to life. They actually lead to death and destruction. And that way of thinking is promoting systems in society, rituals of civil interaction, and those those systems promote another way of thinking. And it becomes self-perpetuating, that it gets worse and worse and worse because the system you create creates a pattern of thinking. The pattern of thinking creates more of that system, and the system grows and grows and grows. It's kind of like black mold. Black mold, once you get water on it, black mold grows and it reproduces. It's absolutely amazing to watch and understand how fungus operates. Uh, fungus, you know, uh, fungus will actually build towers of fungus so that some fungus growing up on, you know, they don't have arms and legs, so the fungus grows up on these towers higher and higher, and the fungus at the top releases the spores 
that will now be spread by the wind and go other places and infest other places when they find suitable habitat. Well, the habitat of evil is your mind. And the habitat of good is your mind. And what culture you are going to cultivate in your mind depends on the way you think and the way you act. Because the way you act is a result of the way you think. And the way you think is also the result of the way you act and interact with others. So you're either perpetually infesting your mind with black mold and fungus that is going to destroy you, or you're perpetually infecting your mind with the righteousness uh, uh, and the ways of life. And so the manner in which you interact and react with your neighbor is going to determine the way you think, and the way you think is going to determine the way you react with your neighbor. And it's either going to get worse or it's going to get better. Like I say, all roads lead to the kingdom of God. And all roads lead to Rome. The question is, what direction are you going? So, with that in mind, we're going to take a little bit of a look at the news to see what's been happening in the news. And, of course, we heard a news program just before we went on the air that was talking about abortion in Texas. And uh, people were complaining that some people have to drive 250 miles to go to an abortion clinic to kill the unborn child in their womb. And this is such an inconvenience. Well, you know, if I want to go to a major grocery store, I have to drive 100 miles. That's a 200-mile round trip every day. <laughs> so, of course, I don't go to the grocery store every day. I usually go to town maybe once every couple of months or so. But uh, the the idea that that's some kind of gigantic inconvenience and we're supposed to spend tax dollars so people can kill their child without going across the street um, is insane, in my opinion. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they said that abortions are way down in Texas. Now, I know that part of that is not that everybody in Texas has gotten moral. Uh, certainly the... Uh, People are waking up to the fact that uh, you're you're not just terminating a lump of flesh when you abort a child, especially when you abort a child at nine months. You're actually aborting a child, and you're killing that child, and you're depriving that child of any natural right to live, because it has a natural right to live. It is successfully navigated and uh, fertilized uh uh, an egg and an egg is grown and split and spread and spread until it's developed hearts and lungs and it feels and it reacts and it lives and it thinks. It just hasn't come out of its mother yet. But to think that, oh, we can destroy it as long as it's still within the womb, uh, that's insane. That's crazy. That's crazy thinking. But, uh, people think that way. And of course, repentance is thinking another way. So how did people get to the point where they could murder millions upon millions of children in the wombs of their daughters and think that and their wives and their uh, their sisters and think that that's perfectly okay? And can you imagine that that will have no repercussion on society, no effect on that individual? as well as society as a whole. Because, as I'm fond of saying, 
is that uh, society is nothing but a composite of individuals. And if you want to oppress a society, first you start oppressing individuals. The rise and fall of civilization begins with the rise and fall of the individual. And it is individuals coming together in what I call holy matrimony, the union of a man and a woman, where her matrix, her womb, is now attached to his family, and they begin to procreate society. New society is born in the wombs of your daughters and your sisters and your mother. That's where society comes from. And to murder society in those wombs and to think and imagine that there is impunity, that that is a good thing, is destructive to society itself. And, of course, we're doing it by the millions. But I came across an interesting article, and I guess it's kind of in the news, is that euthanasia is alive and well in Holland. I've known that for a long time. Uh, people we know in Holland say that if your relatives are in an accident, you want to get to the hospital right away, immediately get to the hospital before the doctors kill them. Because if the injuries are too extensive, they will just euthanize them. And now, all the time, every time, probably not, but it happens. I mean, how many, how many people do you think were put to death by doctors in Holland, you know, a year ago? Well, 6,000 people were put to death. Patients were killed by their doctors on purpose in 2017. That's, that's 500 people a month. That's a hundred people every week. That's fifteen people every day, and that's just in Holland. And uh, psychiatrists alone uh, killed eighty-three patients, just because. I mean, they weren't physically uh, dying, but they had a mental problem, and so eighty-three people were killed just because their brains were not quite right as far as the psychiatrist could determine. That's amazing that they've not only gotten used to that. I mean, there was a doctor who had a patient a couple of years ago in Holland, and this happened to be go to court, so it got a little bit of notoriety. It's not like it's one single case. There's a lot of cases like this. And the woman did not want to be terminated. Uh, she was having Alzheimer problems, but she did not want, she said it wasn't bad. Life was not that bad. She did not want to die. Well, the doctor decided differently, and he drugged her coffee so she would not resist. But even with the drug from the coffee, she was resisting so much that the relatives had to hold her down while he injected her with the lethal toxin that would terminate her life. And, of course, she died. And somebody took it to court, and he, it was ruled that it was not fair, and then they took it to another court that ruled it was fair, and then so he, the doctor is off. The final ruling has come in that he acted appropriately. And the reason why is not because she consented, because she did not consent. She clearly was saying over and over again she did not want to die, and that things weren't that bad yet. But she would have trouble recognizing herself in the mirror. So it was okay to kill her. 
That's amazing that people's thinking has gone that far. Heck, when I look in the mirror, I have trouble wondering who that old man is in the mirror. <laughs> but, I mean, I know it's me, but a little bit of fog and dysphoria is not give you the right to murder your mother, your sister, your, you know, anybody. But that's what's going on in Holland, and it's going on in other European countries. It actually, to some degree, is going on in America. We're a little bit more subtle about it. We just say, well, we're going to give them more pain medication. We're going to give them medication that will help them sleep. Of course, they sleep with low breathing until their oxygen does not is not sufficient to keep the body healthy, and then the body gets more and more unhealthy, and then they go down and die. They they literally put them to sleep one pill at a time, and uh, they pain medicate them so that they they're in a state of dysphoria, and they don't even know, you know. I mean, my own father was getting medication, and they had it set so he could if he felt a great deal of pain, and the pain, by the way, was coming from the fact that the doctor who treated him, one of the doctors. The radiologist had killed his liver. He didn't have a problem with his liver until the radiologist had damaged his liver with radiation. Uh, he was actually getting better, and the doctors killed him. But the pain was very great as he was dying from the treatment a previous doctor had given him. And so he could push this button and get a little morphine. And there was supposedly a limit, so you could not get too much. Well, he tried to avoid pushing that, and uh, but then, of course, once you push it a couple of times, then you can't think clearly, and then you push it again. And But there's supposed to be a limit, so you can only give yourself so much. Well, they raised the limit until they got it so it was more likely that he was going to overdose himself. And, and to the point where he was having delusions. He was seeing things. And my son came in, my, one of my small sons came in with a, a shirt that had a picture of a cougar on the front of the shirt. And that, it, it shook him up because he could not differentiate, you know, he would see the face of the cougar and on the shirt and it would bother him. This is how drugged up the doctors were making him. He was losing one of his greatest faculties, which was his mind, not from dementia, but from medical treatment. And this goes on all the time, and it leads to early deaths from people, early dysphoria, early confusion. And the reality is that's you can call that extreme, although evidently they're getting more extreme in Holland. What's happening, this is happening all across the board in many different areas of society that and also in the news, vaping. Uh, children, you know, somebody goes in, a, a teenager goes into the hospital and they say he has the lungs of a 70-year-old because he's been vaping for a year. You know, it's crazy. Anytime, if you're smoking, if you smoke, you're killing yourself. There's absolutely no valuable asset in smoking. That's not good for you. It's never was good for you, but somehow or other you, you think you need to smoke to help you cope. Smoking, vaping, overindulging in food, doing drugs, becoming an alcoholic, all these things are in the same category. They're not helping you cope, they're helping you not cope. What would help you cope is a clear mind and meditation 
and prayer and sacrifice and all the things that Christ promoted. Those things would help you learn to cope. Coming together in a congregation of people that want to learn to see and want to understand and want to know the truth and want to be able to handle the truth, that will help you. You're picking your friends, picking your associates, picking the people you gather with is important. They're not going to be perfect people. If you found a bunch of perfect people, they probably wouldn't let you gather with them (laughs) if that was the criteria because you're not perfect. But if it's where you're going, the direction of those people are, do they want to change? Do they want to get better? Do they want to know more about themselves? And this we see this commonly. People want to know the truth. They want to know what will set them free because the truth will set them free. They understand that. And so you give them the truth and they get, oh, wow, wow, that's true. I knew that. You know, they knew it already, but now they have a witness. Now they want to go that way more. And they go that way more and they go that way more. And then suddenly they hit a wall. Well, I want to know the truth about this guy and that government and this person and this part of history i want to know the truth about those things but i don't necessarily want to know the truth about me the whole truth about me jesus talks about when your eye is single the word single there in the king james is actually the word whole when your eye is whole when you're willing to see the whole truth everybody's willing to see the truth about other people Everybody's willing to see the truth about the wrong way that they don't want to go anymore. But are they willing to see the truth about themselves? Is Holland willing to see the truth about how their society is losing something when it goes to this euthanasia process? They're losing some of their own humanity and they will suffer for that. Now I'm sure If you go to Holland, you'll find some people that are fighting against euthanasia and and see it as wrong and want to go the other way. And this is always the way it is. No matter what society you're in, there's always some, even in a cannibal society, there's somebody who does not want to eat the missionary that thinks that's a mistake. But they're almost always in the minority when it comes to the immorality of society. Because uh, people will be moral to one extent, But not completely, not wholly moral. They don't want to put on the full armor of God, the full truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They don't want to see that. They want to see the truth that is convenient. They don't want to see the inconvenient truth. And we need to be willing to see the inconvenient truth, the whole truth, the truth about ourselves. Because we're not going to get better as a people, as individuals, and as a society, because you have to start with the individual, until you're willing to see the whole truth about your anger, your trauma, your neurosis, your unwillingness to see things. And when you pick up that cigarette or take that drug or overeat or drink alcohol, you're doing it to block out what you see. You don't want to cope with it You, personally, you want to use this other substance to help you cope with it. Whether it's it's, uh, methamphetamines or Rocky Road ice cream, you're reaching out of yourself to find something in this world 
to help you deal with something that's already gotten inside of you. Inside of your mind, inside of your heart, sometimes inside of your physical body. Because when your mind is clear and getting well and better, your body can actually also be improved by that. We know that when you worry and you get frustrated and filled with anxiety, even when you don't know where that anxiety is coming from, this has a detrimental effect on your body. And so you have to turn around and find out what it is that's bothering you deep down, deep down in your soul, deep down in your heart. Turn around and look at that and meditate upon it and observe it honestly. Because until you're willing to see your thoughts and your mind and what's already in your heart and in your mind and in your body, how can you get better? And if you can't get better, how can society get better? And that's what Christ came, is he came to found a kingdom that is a society of righteousness, that is doing what is right. They're certainly not killing people in the womb, or killing people because they didn't recognize their reflection one day. They're bringing life. Uh, life to everything that they touch, everywhere that they go. And it may start with, you know, maybe pets that you take care of and then extend to children. You know, I know some people that are just fall all over themselves, spend all kinds of money on taking care of their, their dog and their cats. And, uh, but they have very little patience for children. <laughs> and I find that fascinating. That what they've done, you know, we are naturally meant to be compassionate for other living things. Because that was the first commandment, to dress it and keep it. And that included living things from plants to animals, but also to people. And sometimes it's harder, it's easier to forgive a dog or a cat or think fondly of a plant that you're growing. But it isn't always as easy to forgive people because... It's in forgiving people that we can be released from our own trauma. That's why you gather together. You gather together to forgive and give. Giving, being willing to give to others and help others, is just a way of measuring how much you've really forgiven them. I've heard people actually tell me, yeah, I forgave them, but I don't, I don't want to help them out. I don't want to give them anything. Yeah, they're in trouble. They're having a difficult time somewhere in life. They don't want to help them out. I forgave them, but, you know, I I really just, I'm fed up with that guy. I want to go somewhere else. Well, that's a measure that you haven't really forgiven them. And you need to forgive them so that you can be forgiven. And that is part of the kingdom. We'll be back in a moment. So we're back to Keys of the Kingdom, and one of those keys to the kingdom is that you have to forgive one another. And uh, that's why you gather together. And if you gather with perfect people, you won't have anybody to forgive. Because they're perfect people. They're never making any mistakes. So anyway, that's another reason why you don't look for perfect people. You look for people who want to go the same direction you're going, or want to go, or hope to go. You don't know really what that direction exactly looks like when you start out. You, you, you can see the mountain, 
But you don't know the exact path you will follow because that will be discovered as you climb, as you head up the mountain, follow the path that Christ has led us on. Now, obviously, the Christ that that I know told us to follow a path of love. And love, the same word we see as love, is the word charity. So charity is a, a critical part of the path of Christ. Forgiveness is a critical part of this path of Christ. Being the good Samaritan, helping somebody you don't even know, uh, casting your bread upon the waters, giving up your life. What you're doing is you're like a candle, shining life out into the world in every direction. And when you gather together with other people, everybody in that gathering should be shining that light out in a different direction. We have this idea that a minister of the gospel is somebody who sits up in front of the congregation and everybody sits in little pews and he tells you what to think. And that we, you know, we send money to the missions, we send money to help the homeless, we send money you know, to whatever charity that you could think of. And then we go back home and do whatever we want. That's not the kingdom. Kingdom is a lot deeper than that. The kingdom, in the kingdom, which is elder driven, and it's the spirit of God in each elder coming into the room that has a quantum effect. But people keep trying to worship the ritual you know, like the Torah keepers. You know, we had we had this discussion last week, and we'll be releasing an audio of uh, the that we took we put together during the Burning Bush Festival. And uh, we've already released a page called the Fringe, and we have the, a page called Breaches, and and the Red Heifer, and all these articles that are up to show you that a lot of the Torah keepers are reading the Torah, but they don't understand what it means, and they're actually worshiping the allegory, the metaphor, rather than the God that the metaphor is trying to tell you about. And you you know this when they pay more attention to form than they do to righteousness. Because And you can see it, you know, I've seen it for years in the Feast of the Tabernacles. There's a lot of Torah keepers that want to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles, and so they all do that. And maybe they'll keep Pentecost, which would be you know, the spring feast. And they go there and they celebrate and it was wonderful and they met with all these people and everything. But when they go home, they have no international network of charity to help one another out. If there's a flood in their community, if there's a a tornado, they're going to depend upon the governments of the world to send aid. The FEMA of the world. You know, the Federal Emergency Management uh, Agency. But, of course, if you go to our website at preparingyou.com, you'll see you can look up FEMA there, and it's the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. And it's composed of all the tens, hundreds, and thousands that Christ commanded that we sit down in. The ministers of those groups are not going to be telling you what to think. They're going to be saying, well, what does God say? What is the Holy Spirit telling you? What, what, what is God writing upon your heart and upon your mind? His job isn't to be the Holy Spirit to you. He isn't to be your guru. He isn't to be your minister, master, or master, minister. 
He is just to connect you with the other nine congregations. Because he's in a congregation of ministers. This is a different way of thinking. The, the, the people don't think that they want to get in their home church and have the little fellowship in their own group. But they're not casting their bread upon the waters. They're not, you know, they'll do some token helping. This is amazing. And we've been looking at ways in which we could do it and talking with other people. We we're going to go to a meeting yesterday. But we've canceled it uh, because it's more appropriate that we might do it on the 23rd, I guess, or later in this month. And uh, talking to people in county governments, we're, we we go down lower and lower um, in, in the governments because we want to get to the people and work with the people and teach the people again, how do you take care of the homeless without depending upon the federal government? How do you get people... To think clearly. How do you cure a schizophrenic without drugs? That's done every day. And I'm using the word cure. Cure schizophrenics without drugs. Can that be done? Well, it is done. It's done by ex-schizophrenics. But uh, how is that possible? Well, you have to go listen to our, our audios and read our articles on that. And uh, do some more studying on it and you'll find out. But the reality is... Christ is a healer. The way of Christ is a healing way. This forgiveness of others allows you to be forgiven and allows you to heal. It removes the scar tissue of trauma in your life. And so that's that's a different path. So if we went out into the world and we're trying to show people this other path that learns to he, uh, leans towards healing, leans towards reconstruction of society from the ground up, then how are we going to do that? Well, a lot of people have homeless shelters and uh, shelters for battered women and uh, unwed mothers, you know, like the Magdalena House and stuff like that. And they help people out with physical shortages or difficulties or problems and addictions. But are they getting into the quantum area of spirit? Well, Sometimes a little bit, and that's, I think, where you see, you know, like they have some programs that might have 20% success rate. Somebody in government was talking about, oh, we need to get rid of this program because it only has a 20 or 23% success rate. Well, without it, they have a 0% success rate. <laughs> I saw a movie uh, recently that where uh, I think the Kendrick brothers uh, put it out. And uh, people were praying. And I don't really think everybody understands how you pray because you have to ask correctly. You have to pray right. And they have, you know, they'll get down, they'll kneel down, and they'll bend their heads, and they'll close their eyes, and they'll recite prayers. And that's that's fine. But in itself, the ritual will give you no results. You have to have this spiritual change in you this spiritual submission to a higher force in you and that often comes with events of your life you know the the wall smacking you in the head and realizing that you don't really believe you don't really believe as deeply as you need to believe and when you just begin to start to get down where you're supposed to be all the time and you're just getting closer to the way, you see a result, and you think, oh, wow, I'm I'm there. 
No, you're not there. This is an infinite kingdom. It's a process. You may be getting closer. That's why they call it a way. They don't call, you know, Jesus and the location. <laughs> it's not, you don't get there. It's a way. You're constantly getting closer to the kingdom. It, it, it never ends. It's infinite. So, once your mind is changed to go that way, then you're on, in this process of being perfected in the kingdom. People like to think, well, I'm saved. It's done. It's over with. Now I can go out and do what I want. And even if I sin, I'm still saved. That's a very dangerous philosophy. Uh, that's a philosophy of the world. That's not the way Christ presented it. It's not the way the apostles presented it. So I don't know where they get that from. Actually, I do. But it doesn't make sense. And the only way it can make sense is to skip Parts of what the apostle says, parts of what Christ said, just remove those from the teachings and then you can sit up there in your pulpit and tell people this and they'll say, yeah, that sounds cool. I'm saved and I can keep on sinning. <laughs> of course, they don't quite put it in those terms, but that's what it ends up. You don't want to go that way. So we're going to, we're going to go into looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've and we're going to look in that. So all this stuff about what's in the news and what's in our thinking is just a prelude to that. We talked about Corinth and who was in Corinth at the time of the apostles and Jesus Christ and Paul going there. And, you know, who were these Corinthians? Well, they weren't the original Corinthians because they were all murdered <laughs> and sold into slavery about 140 years before Christ was even born. And then about 43 years before Christ was born, Caesar said, okay, let's all go to Corinth and reestablish Corinth. And so these were mostly settlers that came to Corinth from lots of different places. And they came under a government scheme because what Caesar was doing, he's going to loan money to people to set up the city of Corinth. And they're doing it to make money because Corinth was in this unique location, which we talked about in earlier recordings. Now, if you want to be kept up to date on all these recordings and know where they are and how to find them, well, join the network. Go to Preparing You and click on the network links and join the network in your area. The network in your area is designed so that you can find people in your area closer and closer to you all the time. And create congregations of ten. Those congregations of ten families or ten individuals sometimes because everybody doesn't have a family. And uh, they are going to be gathered together in congregations of a hundred. Because ten times ten is a hundred. And then they will be gathered together when we have five uh, hundreds. Then they will be gathered in, you know congregations of 5,000, etc., and 10,000, and on and on. So you see this pattern of tens, of fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Uh, that is what Christ commanded that we sit down in, and we have an article on that. What, and somebody said, well, Christ commanded a lot of things. That particular word in the Greek that he commanded, that's the only time he used that word in commanding people. And he was commanding his disciples 
to require that the people sit down in this pattern. Because Christ knew it was a good idea. And if Christ thought it was a good idea, why aren't you doing it in your churches? And in your Christian groups? In your home churches? Okay, you're gathered in your tens. Where's your fifties and hundreds and thousands? Where are they at? Where's your daily ministration? If you're gathered in those groups, if you're in churches, and 90% of the welfare of your congregation is provided by men who exercise authority, you're not following the way. You're addicted, just like those people vaping and people on methamphetamines and people on alcohol. You're addicted to the benefits of the world. And the benefits of the world is where your liberty has gone. The greatest destroyers of freedom, greatest destroyers of liberty, are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And if those givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits are men who exercise authority one over the other then you can figure your liberty is going to disappear. So if you know that the truth shall set you free, that's the truth. Now the reason you don't stay on that journey of sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the reason you divide the people with your divisive doctrines is because there's something in you You are starting to see and you don't want to see it. So you had to bail. You had to leave the group. And you won't do it alone because you're you're a coward. So you entice other people to go with you. People who were here years ago and moved away or dropped away or hidden themselves away in their offices. They heard the stories of Korah. Korah was a sheep in our flock. It was the only black-faced sheep we kept. She was so healthy. She was so vital that we kept her. Normally, we wouldn't keep a black-faced sheep. It's a it's a crossbreed, and that's not what you would keep for breeding. You would want to keep the white-faced rain sheep, which are in our herders from Colombian and Rambouillet lines that they've been herded on the range without fences for centuries. And those uh, those sheep have this strong herd instinct. And we'll talk about that elsewhere, and we have already. But Cora was a black-faced sheep, and she was always leading a group astray. She was very dominant, very healthy, had lots of lambs. And they were healthy, but she would gather groups of sheep to follow her, and she would lead them astray. (laughs) And she would say, it's not my fault they're following me, (laughs) and that they're doing what I'm doing. But the reason people leave the network often, the network of the tens, hundreds, and thousands, is because they're getting close to the real problem in themselves. And they don't want to see that. So they flee and they bail on everybody else. And they go off and they lead their isolated lives or isolated groups. Now some of them will say, well, we want to get another group going together. And they they may actually do that, get another little small group. But it's not kingdom. Again, it's, it's not kingdom. 
because they're 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 loving those that love them in their little group, but they're not casting their bread upon the waters and they're and one of the things that allows them to do this is that they are worshiping the ritual. They are worshiping the metaphor instead of the principle, which is why I took time to write the article on fringe and the article on breaches and the article on the red heifer and the article on the sophistry and on altars and stoning and stones. And if you go and read those things, you'll start to realize that we're supposed to be doing exactly what Christ said and what Moses intended and what Abraham began to follow, which is the way of righteousness and not the way of covetousness. Well, the whole world has gone the way of covetous, and now they're killing their children in their womb. They're killing their mothers and their sisters in their hospitals and injecting them with poison because they had a little problem. They got beat up by the world. You know, when the guy was beat up on the side of the road in the Good Samaritan story, he couldn't even get up. He was half conscious, pleading for help. He couldn't, he couldn't hardly crawl. Well, heck, Holland better just euthanize him. <laughs> you know, there's the Good Samaritan going over with his injection of toxic poisons. And, well, there I helped him out. And then he went on his merry way. Well, that's not the good Samaritan. You know, I have a lamb right outside the door and he's uh, outside the window here that's having a real hard time. Uh, it was sick out in the field and we took it in and we, we got its bowels cleared up so it's not as runny as it was with parasites. But it's, it's not motivated to get up and walk around anymore and it may, it seems to be going downhill. But my granddaughter won't give up on it. She goes out there every day. She cuts grass. She she stands it up and tries to get it to walk. And maybe it will get better. And she knows that the likelihood of it getting better is very slim. But she says, we have to try. Well, evidently in Holland, they don't try. That is costing society in Holland dearly. And they will find out when it's dearly too late. So anyway, like I said, we're going to be looking at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to go all the way through Corinthians eventually. So we have this long message before we start. And we'll really get into it when uh, we start in the second hour. So that will be, you know, kind of set aside. But this getting this prelude... This, uh, this forelook at the gospel and what Christ was actually saying and showing the contrast for what you see the church is actually doing. Because if, if your little church gets together and starts a shelter for homeless or for, you know, uh, battered women or whatever, that's it. That's a good start. But if you're not keeping in mind that the church was the entire Social welfare for Christians who would not eat at the table of those men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. The unrighteous mammon, and it was the unrighteous mammon because people were giving in to the treasury, which they called, sometimes they translate the word Corbin just as Corbin, which means sacrifice. Sometimes they translated in the New Testament as treasury. But people were, that was their sacrifice was compelled 
by men who exercise authority, forcing the contributions of the people through their tax collectors. And then that provided a treasury that was able to take care of the widows and orphans and even the elderly. But Christ said this was causing the word of God to become of no effect because you were taking care of your elderly by forced offerings. John the Baptist said, no, not by force, but by charity. Jesus said, by charity, by love. Paul says, by charity. But if 90, if 70, if 60, if 51% of the needs of your congregation are taken care of by the men who exercise authority, by governments of the world, you got to turn around. you got to make it at least... 49%. That's your goal. For most of you, I'm just going to set that goal. It's a temporary goal because once you get the charity in your congregation is taken care of by your congregation and the network of congregations, I'm going to change that 49% to 9%. <laughs> so, so you'll have a new goal. But that's where you got to be going. If that's not where you're heading... If that's not what your minister is reminding the people of every week, then that minister needs to repent and think differently. Because he's not preaching the kingdom. He's preaching the gospel of the congregation of self-righteousness. Now that's a stunning, hard message. You're not going to get to 49%. You're not going to certainly get to 9% until you start changing as individuals. And you don't know what to change to. So you got to let God change your mind. And God will change your mind when you humbly admit that what's in your mind now as the gospel just ain't so. It's not the gospel. It has led you to the first despot and dictators and rulers of the world that will take your sons and daughters and take your best of your fruits and take the best of your fields. You've gone back into the bondage of Egypt and you can't get, you cannot set yourself free. No legal spiegel fill out the paperwork a scheme is going to set you free. The truth will set you free. But it has to be the whole truth. You have to see the truth about the world and the ways of the world as unrighteous. And you have to see the truth about the ways of the uh, world of Christ, the system of Christ, the kingdom of God, as righteous. And in order to follow that way, you have to see the truth about yourself. Your anger. Your sloth. Your envy. Your pride. You have to see the truth about that. And when you start looking for the truth about that, you're going to uncover the trauma that is in your heart. We have an article on meditation. A whole page on meditation. Because it's actually composed of several articles. At Preparing You. Go there. Look at that article, study that, start to meditate. Calm your mind. Be still and know that the truth of God is available to you. Not from me, but from God himself. Because he will start to write upon your heart and upon your mind. 
But if you're out there studying the ways of the world and trying to figure out how to get out of the system and, and, and scheme and how, how to, you know, go and read, if people go and study the Torah and study the Torah and read all this stuff, but they're studying that metaphor and the allegory as if that's the truth. That's pointing to the truth. You can't put truth in a bottle. It's not a genie. You can't put it in a book. The truth is not in the book. It's not in the words. The truth is alive. It lives in you. The truth is God. You know, that's the thing is, I have an opinion of what the truth is. You have an opinion of what the truth is. Everybody has an opinion as to what the truth is. But God's opinion is the truth. It is the way. It is the life. And that's the opinion you want in you. In order to get that opinion in you, you're going to have to set down your opinion and let God write upon your heart and your mind and following the way will help that process take place. And that's what we're going to talk about when we study 1 Corinthians 2 next on Keys to the Kingdom. So don't go away. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're going to look at Corinthians. We've already done a recording on this, talked about the history of Corinth and how that is important when you're reading the Corinthians is you need to know who you're talking to, who Paul is talking to, uh, what, in order to know what Paul is talking about. He starts out in 1 Corinthians, uh, in the, the early part talking about Thanksgiving. Well, what is Thanksgiving? That is, the, the word for Thanksgiving in the Greek is the word Eucharist. And the Eucharist, the, what we see today as a wafer of bread, that is, nobody was using a wafer of bread back in those days. They were actually passing out real bread to the needy of society. And that bread was provided by the congregations of the people through free will offerings, just as it was in ancient Israel. And the alternative to the free will offerings that was rightly divided from house to house, which was the Eucharist of Christ, divided from house to house, thankfully giving, not giving and uh, being a snare. Because there is a table that is a snare. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. David talked about it. The, the, the unrighteous mammon is a snare. That's a table set by men who exercise authority one over the other. That's what most countries depend upon. Most people depend upon. Most people calling themselves Christians today depend upon because they actually have no daily ministration in their own congregations. They know this deep down in their hearts, so they try to alleviate the guilt by going out and helping people with, you know, shelters, etc., I don't have that guilt, but I thought that would be a good place to start to look at understanding the charity of uh, the early church and how it worked and how it doesn't work. Because, the, you know, we have, you know, the rise of the welfare state and we show how the charitable institutions that were created by voluntary contributions worked and how... The charitable institutions, which are really you know, the welfare institutions, we'll call them, that are operated by forced offerings, which is through the government, and how they work, or actually how they don't work, how they don't help the people, but actually weaken them, 
which is what they were doing in Sodom and Gomorrah. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They actually made the poor worse. And we've had plenty of programs on that, as well as you could probably just watch the news and people talking about how the the welfare state has weakened society. And then, of course, you know, it, it's taken a tremendous toll on the black community. So they now have 70% of the children being born in the black community are in single-parent families. Abortion clinics, like Planned Parenthood, sounds good, Planned Parenthood, is actually a racist institution because over half the children that they abort are black children. That's statistically Im- improbable if all things were equal, but all things are not equal. And uh, that high number of abortions in the black community is a result of the breakdown of the black family. And the breakdown of the black family is completely the result of the war on poverty. And they've become addicted to the welfare of the world. And it's devastated their society and their community. And we see that it's not limited to that race because it's stretching over into the white communities and the Asian communities. I don't know what white communities. That would include Italians and French and German and and all kinds of other nationalities. But it also, I don't I don't think of people in the in terms of white and black and Asian. But that's the way they do it. A lot of the Asian culture they had a very strong families. Uh, people coming from Vietnam, very strong families, but these are disintegrating under the, this, because society has created certain things as norms, and they've created a way in which to walk through the world that brings the individual down, undermines the individual, undermines the family where individuals are born, and they're destroying society, but they, they they say they're doing it in the name of equity. But anyway, so that first chapter was talking a lot about Eucharist and Thanksgiving. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand uh, some of the other processes that are going on. But we've we've addressed some of that already. But now if you get into chapters 2 and 3 and 4, you're going to start seeing him talk about division, facts of division, causes of divisions, and cures of division. And then you, when we get into uh, chapters 5, we're going to be talking about discipline and immoral brothers and resolving personal disputes and what, you know, they say sexual impurity, but he's actually relating that sexual impurity or, or lack of purity to this eating at the Parthenos. You know, the Parthenos was the temple of virgins, supposedly, but it was also a provider of welfare. And so that if you're eating of that temple, that's things sacrificed to idols. Well, how did they have the coffers filled in those temples? A lot of it was through forced offerings. Now, even in Rome at that time, there was still some charity amongst the Romans. Before, all their welfare was taken care of by charity, you know, in their society. And it made their society stronger and stronger and stronger and bound Romans together so that they were almost invincible. But uh, starting with Pompey to some degree, I mean, it started way back, but at least with Pompey, but it really got going gangbusters. Their war on poverty, their welfare state got going under Augustus. And then it was all downhill from there. And Augustus came along just you know, a few decades before Jesus Christ was born. 
And so, and then, of course, Herod was going to follow in that same pattern that Augustus brought, which was the welfare state. And so Christ was the opposite of that. The the welfare state that Christ established was only through free will offerings, only through charity. It was the righteous mammon. It was not the unrighteous mammon. So you need to understand that in order to get through First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, which begins, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, So he wasn't like a preacher up in the pulpit. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ. He had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Him sacrificed. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, he wasn't trying to teach you some sort of doctrine and catechism and... You know, let's go back and read the Torah and, and dot our I's and cross our, our T's. Uh, that's not what he was trying to do. He wanted you to actually begin to walk the walk. Physically, with your power, your potential. That you were going to actually start doing what he talked about before, the Eucharist, the taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That's where, when you start doing that, that's going to take some personal physical sacrifice, but it's also going to take some emotional sacrifice, and it's actually going to eventually bring you face to face with some of those internal traumas that have been nudging you and guiding you off course so that you're not actually always walking in the Holy Spirit. And you have to be willing to see those dark recesses of your own heart in order for the light to come in Because the light that comes in when your eye is single, when your eye is whole, when you're willing to see the truth about yourself as well as others, we know you're willing to see the the falseness of others, but are you willing to see the falseness of yourself? Because that's when your eye is whole. Then the light comes out of you and shows you the way. It's not going to be your preacher that shows you the way. We can talk about the way, but your particular way, what you're supposed to do this morning and tomorrow morning and the next morning, I don't know what that is. God knows what that is, and you need to know it. He may say, go to town. He may say, you know, go back in and take a nap. He may say, you know, go out and check something in the barn. I mean, I can't tell you how many times God just told me to go check somewhere, and boy, I needed to go there. If I was a moment late, there had been trouble. You need that. I can't teach you that. But in order for you to have that light in your heart and in your mind and at your toes and in your feet so you know where to go, you need to see yourself and your own failings so that your eye is single, your eye is whole. Howbeit we speak wisdom. Now see, now we're in verse 6. 
And uh, if we go through verse uh, 6 through 9, those who receive the doctrine of Christ as divine and having been enlightened by the Holy Spirit, he says. So what does that mean? Howbeit we speak wisdom amongst them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. Aeon is the word there, age. That's what it means. That's not the same word, world. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's, he's saying the word that means age. So let's go ahead and put the word age there and see if that helps you understand it. Howbeit we speak wisdom amongst them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the princes of this age that come to naught. Why do they come to naught? Because their system is making the word of God the none effect because the, their system is like the Corban of the Pharisees. It's forced offerings. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world age unto our glory. Okay, so there's something hidden, something that people don't see. That they have their blind guides, and the people are not seeing it. You know, just like in Holland, like we talked in the first hour, they're not seeing that there's a problem with euthanasia. That the people who are boarding millions and millions of children in the wombs of women all the way up to nine months, and now there's even a great deal of evidence coming out that children are being aborted and born live and are put in a room to die. How, how, and they think that's okay. Some think that's okay. That's crazy. That's insane. But how do we get to that point where we're, because the truth is a mystery to them. They can't see the truth. It's hidden from them. But that's not the only thing that's hidden to them. Their destruction that is coming is hidden to them. They won't see it coming. They'll they'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. That's because you wouldn't see the truth over here, so you won't see what's coming behind that. You know, if you you know if you put your hand over your face so that you don't see something, you can't see anything else either. Which none of the princes of the age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen or ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Okay, those that hate him, they can't see either. That they thought they were going to fix things by crucifying Christ. Because, see, there, we could go back and look at, you know, why was Christ crucified? Because he fired the money changers. You know, follow the money. <laughs> the money changers were the porters of the temple. The high priests that were occupying that temple at that time, that temple built by Herod, built by the forced offerings of Herod, that temple was defiling the way of God, making the word of God to none effect. That temple was going to be destroyed. Christ warned that it would be destroyed, but he also, there was a double meaning. 
He talked about his temple being destroyed and in three days he would raise it up. But this, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not the stone buildings for all you Torah keepers. Don't worship the temple. They were worshiping the temple. Even the apostles are saying, look at this great temple and look how wonderful it is. And Christ is saying, this temple I will destroy and in three days I will raise it up. He's talking about himself. Because he knew all the time that that temple is nothing. That's a symbol. I said, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't quite got that yet. They didn't even really know he was the Messiah yet at that point. You remember? They didn't know that until Jesus had that little talk with them about the keys of the kingdom. Keys of the kingdom is revelation. And revelation doesn't come to the proud, arrogant, self-righteous religion seeker. It comes to the humble of heart. And so when you see those people in the Kendrick movie kneeling down, it isn't the kneeling down, although it's fine. That's that's actually kind of a humbling, and sometimes it's important to do those things. But you can kneel down, bow your head, and say all those words and nothing will happen. What makes a difference is on that spiritual or quantum level where you actually become humble and are willing to listen to the whole truth. And if you're not willing to see the truth about yourself, that was one of the things in the, that story, is that the, the man was willing to see that I haven't been the Christian I thought I was. I haven't been as forgiving or as patient as I thought I was. And and even the, the young girl in the movie, she had to... They never said this in the movie, but unless you forgive... Neither will my father forgive you. She could not grow. It wasn't the power of her prayer. It was the willingness to forgive. The power of prayer is real. But the power of your prayer is nothing. They're just words. You can't conjure up the Holy Spirit. So this is why Christ, you know, why Paul coming to the Corinthians was this humble, just do the work, serve not be a big preacher, not tickle their ears with uh, long sermons, but actually do the work. So this is why we gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to do the work. Not that we're going to earn, but in the process of doing the work, we're going to come face to face with our own hidden truths about ourselves. The mystery of why we haven't seen more earlier done more earlier why we have gone back into bondage if we don't address that there's no thing that will get you out of bondage no thing no abatement will save you only if we forgive others will god forgive us and that will be our abatement and i mentioned that because we just put up an article on the non-statutory abatement to show you that 90 percent of the people that are trying to use that are not going to get anywhere with it uh, because they don't understand it. They don't understand what they didn't tell you. <laughs> we will tell you the rest of the story. But anyway, down in verse 9, as I was reading before, but as it is written, I have not seen or ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How do you know you love God? By what you do. And what you don't do. And the modern Christian says they love God. They love Christ. 
but 90% of their daily ministration is by men who exercise authority one over the other, and Christ said it was not to be that way with you, but they are addicted to their strong delusion. They won't let go of it. Those of you who are starting to let go don't need to go out and preach this to everybody. You need to become doers of the word. Obey the commandment of Christ, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and just start taking care of one another. And let your taking care of others outside of your congregation and outside of the network of congregations be your outreach. But if you don't fix what is at home, what are you outreaching with? If you are not taking care of one another... Why are you outreaching with false doctrines? So, verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. You're not going to get this because I'm telling you. I'm not revealing the truth to you. I'm just talking about the truth that is revealed to me. You have to be, it has to be revealed to you in the Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Where are those deep things of God? They're they're not found out there in the world. They're found in the deep recesses of your own heart and your own mind. And that's where you need to go, in those deep recesses. The pride of the carnal reasoning is really as much opposed to spirituality as the basest of sensualities. Yeah, I'm quoting here from um, Matthew Henry's concise commentary. This is what we have to understand in the Torah seekers. The Torah seekers are trying to do this by mentally searching the scriptures, but unfortunately, and this is why we wrote the articles to show them that many of the things that you're reading in these translations, because much is lost in the translation, are simply holding up the a construction of the metaphor as if that is the destination. That you have to have your prayer shawl. When the prayer shawl never was a prayer shawl from the beginning. And fringe never was fringe from the beginning. And the share of the Levites, the kidney and the kidney fat that was the share of the Levite was never about kidneys or kidney fat. Those, All those words had other meanings which in the mind of an Israelite because of the nature of their language saw these are these pictures that we're drawing with words are referring to spiritual things. And you need to be looking at those spiritual things in order to understand the spiritual things. But you're looking at the physical things and therefore missing the spiritual. So the pride of the cardinal reasoning, the physical things, is really as much opposed to the spirituality as the basis sensuality. In other words, your belief in faith in these physical dogmas are a drug that is keeping you from seeing the truth. So Karl Marx was right. (laughs) Certain religions 
They're based on symbols that we hold up and we build our temples with are the opiate of the people. But if you you cannot find the quantum nature of spirituality that really brings the power of God into your life simply by following physical doctrines and outward symbols. Goes on to say that, uh, but the cardinal man is a stranger to the principles and pleasures. And the cardinal man is including the people that say everybody has to wear this cloth or this outfit or, you know, meet on this calendar day or all these things. That's why they say, well, you, you worry me because you're become keepers of days. You know, they get pleasure in this because they say it, it gives them a feeling that we've done it. We've kept the food laws. We've, we've worn the right outfit. We've met on the right day. And so it gives them pleasure to think that we are doing it. Those other guys are not. But where's their daily, international daily ministration? How, how are they going to get help to Australia when Australia needs help? Do they know how, do they have a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands to make that a possibility? Where are they going to go when they can't stay where they're at now? Do they, the union and discipline of the early church scared the life out of the, out of the, uh, emperors of, of that age. It, it, they, they could not believe how these people were so unified. Yet, this is why Paul's going to be talking about division. And why we've seen divisions because people want to divide because they don't want to see the whole truth. They don't want, they, they don't want their eye to be single because you can't just get by seeing the truth about others. You have to see the truth about yourself. And if you're not willing to see the truth about yourself, that pride becomes your wall. The spiritual man only is the person to whom God gives the knowledge of his will. You cannot conjure up the wisdom of God through physical rituals and practices. It's through the spirit that giveth life. And the spirit is the spirit of righteousness. And we will see non-divisionary tactics in the righteous man. We will see divisionary tactics in the unrighteous man. How little have any known of the mind of God by natural power. Again, I'm quoting from Matthew Henry's concise commentary. But anyway, we're going to take another break and we'll come back and we'll go hot and heavy through the rest of Corinthians, which is not very long. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, we looked at verse 8, which said, Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, today, the Lord of glory is crucified regularly, not only by the princes of this world, or, you know, uh, that was in the news today, too, that we talked about. That there's uh, these people vying for the presidency of the United States and the Democratic Party. And those are the princes of this world. 
Same on the other side of the uh, conservative movement, which I guess is the Republican Party, and there's also other parties, Constitutional Party, and I, you know, I can't keep track of them all. But those are also the princes of the world. And I, I heard recently that there's a number of Republicans that are running against uh, Trump, who is the incumbent, which is usually considered political suicide, but uh, he's caused such a stir by his his demeanor that uh, those princes of the world are even fighting amongst themselves for that position of power. But they all, if you listen to the rhetoric, are, rhetoric are crucifying the Lord of glory to one degree or another. What I'm dealing with a lot of times and, and what Paul is dealing with in Corinthians is the people that are dividing the people. And in Matthew's, Henry's concise commentaries, which I don't always read from, but in this case, I think it's pertinent because he said some profound things if we put them into right perspective. And he says, the apostles were enabled by the Spirit to make known his mind. But Christ said, the keys to the kingdom is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. The rock was not Peter. The rock was revelation. You knew this not because flesh and blood has revealed it to you. I'm flesh and blood. When I'm talking to you over this microphone, that's flesh and blood. Talking to you over a microphone. These are words in the air. If I was in the vacuum of space, you wouldn't hear this because the sound would not travel to the microphone. <laughs> but uh, also, I wouldn't be able to breathe. But that's that's flesh and blood. That's physically talking about this. You need to be spiritually, you personally, in the pew, in the seat, need to be spiritually awakened so that the revelation will come to you. It goes on to say, In the Holy Scriptures, the mind of Christ and the mind of God in Christ are fully made known to us. Now, that is that really correct? Well, it depends on how you take it. It's fully taught us, but it's we don't get it from Scripture. We get it through revelation. Other people will read the same Scripture and they won't get it. Smart people. We'll read the scripture and they won't get it. We get it because it is revealed to us in our hearts and our minds. Reading the scripture may help that process because it's a way of getting witness. Me talking to you may help that process because I'm a witness. But you only know because of revelation. And that's very important to keep that in mind. Because... How little have any known of the mind of God by natural power? Your reading of the Holy Scripture is your natural power. It's your natural, you know, your what you learned before, the definition of words, your understanding of history, how you put words together, how you define sentences and words and phrases. That's all natural power. And some people will read the truth and they will interpret it wrongly. And some people will read what is true and they will know because they already know in their heart because it's already written in their heart. And that's where it has to be written. And in order for you to know what is written in your heart, sometimes you have to quiet your mind, which is why we have a page on meditation to help you quiet your mind and see what is in there that has been nudging you throughout your life, 
through 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, nudging you to make bad choices because it wants your destruction. I don't want you to make bad choices. I want you to make good choices. But the only way you will do that is that if you're listening to the Holy Spirit and not to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, some of the world, the flesh, and the devil has already gotten inside you. So that's why forgiveness is important. You have to forgive yourself, and you have to forgive others. In order to do that, you have to come together with others, and you have to learn patience, and you have to strive, and you have to persevere. And dividing people is not persevering. But in verse 10, it says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Not by the Holy Scriptures. By His Spirit. I'm not saying that Holy Scriptures aren't of value. I'm not saying your preachers are not of value. I'm not saying any of you are not of value. Even I'm, I would not say in the world and the benefactors who exercise authority are not of value because they present a great contrast between the ways of the world and the way of God. But it's by the Spirit that it is revealed. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God, that you find, where's God? Where's the kingdom of God within you? It will take you to the depths of your heart. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Problem is, is that in some of you, there are other spirits that have gotten into you. Spirit of jealousy, the spirit of envy, the spirit of fear, the spirit of greed. All these spirits are also in you. So how do you get rid of them? You have to bring light. If you want to get the cockroaches out, you got to turn the lights on. Goes on to say, even so, the things of God knoweth no man. You can't know this. You can't study and know this. You have to have it revealed to you. But the Spirit of God can do that. God knows all. Now people, you know, people have tried to deceive me and, and lie to me and, and sometimes it works because I'm human and I'm flesh, just like any, but sometimes God lets me know and they say, well, how do you know that? I said, I, w- I don't know everything, but the guy I work for, he knows everything. <laughs> and so you can walk into a room and you can know who's plotting against you. But I can't give you that. Only the Holy Spirit can give you that. And you can only get a hold of the Holy Spirit if you set aside carnal things. Well, certainly smoking is a carnal thing. Certainly overeating is a carnal thing. Certain taking drugs is a carnal thing. Certain promiscuity is a, is a carnal thing. Certainly methamphetamine is a carnal thing. But there are a lot of other things that are cardinal things. Pride is a cardinal thing. Rituals are a cardinal thing. Form is a cardinal thing. So you think I have to do things on this day and and it, with this clothes, wearing this clothes and having these kinds of shoes. Those are all cardinal things. Now, I don't mind you doing that. I don't mind you keeping the food laws. You know, I mean, diet is really important. And And if you lived in Canaan, not eating pork was life or death because they were parasite ridden. The whole society was was falling apart. We've talked about that before. I mean, the average age of a Canaanite, he was an old man at 45. 
old man at 45. People were crippled by the time they were 20 because of the parasites they were getting from the pigs. And so yeah, you didn't want to eat that pork. I guarantee you that. You didn't want to touch that. You didn't want to walk where those pigs walked. You wanted to wash your feet when you came into the house. That was important. But what what toxins and poisons are going around now? Most of the toxins and poisons that people consume today, you can get at the grocery store or the pharmacy. And they're just as toxic as pork in Canaan. So you need to understand that, that these laws were made to save you, not bind you. So, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, that's not the word age, that's the system, the constitutional order or system. Now we have not received the spirit of that system, which is a covetous system, which today, in this age, that world, that system has covetous practices. They take from people to provide the welfare of the world. They borrow from the future of your children to provide the welfare of the world. You need to start moving away from that and going another way. And I don't know how you can do it unless you sit down in the tens and hundreds and thousands and start being charitable amongst yourselves and taking care of one another. But the Spirit which is of God, that we might have known the things that are freely given to us of God. I'm telling you that if you change your thinking and realize that the way of the world is not the way of God and we need to go the other way, that is a changing of the mind. That is repenting. That is not just being charitable to a few homeless people and a few needy people and, you know, a few... Widows that are on on Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. That is reconstructing our whole approach to seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You cannot do that unless you sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands and start sharing with each other and casting your bread upon the waters. But the spirit which is of God is not the spirit which is of the world. That we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Revelation will come. Our eyes will be opened. We will see that which others cannot see. We will know where to go and when to go and how to go if we start repenting, thinking a different way and going that way and following the command of Christ. Like I said, the only place that Christ used the word that is translated into commanded that we see there when he said that the, we had to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That was the only time he ever used that word to command people. He commanded the weather. He commanded you know storms to stop. He commanded demons out. But the only time he used that word to command people is when he said, you got to make them sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that's really important if we're going to actually follow Christ. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, with the Spirit. 
the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world. We don't want to eat of the unrighteous mammon. Now some cannot let go of that. They just have to work harder and harder to bring about the tens, hundreds, and thousands so they no longer have to eat of the spirit of the world. And it will change their spirit. They will be changed. They will be born again. They will be perfected in Christ. A lot of people are going to wake up someday. They think we're born again. We got all these great works. We got all these altar calls. We got all these churches. We go out and have all this token charity. We still eat at the uh, table of the men who exercise authority one over the other. We still covet our neighbor's goods through the agency of government. We still curse our children by an unrelenting rise in debt. But we're Christians because we do these nice things. Jesus is going to tell those people, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. But wait a minute, they're really nice people, but they're workers of iniquity. But, you know, they have really nice churches and they sing wonderful songs and they say they love Jesus, but they're workers of iniquity. Because they are absolutely the opposite of what Christ said to be. It is not to be that way with you. And yet there they are being that way. And preachers don't want to tell them because they might leave my church. That's because it's your church. It's not his church. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So if you're addicted to cigarettes, if you're addicted to chewing tobacco, if you're addicted to... Food, if you're addicted to uh, porn, if you're addicted to uh, methamphetamines, if you're addicted to doctors, if you're addicted to politics, you may not see all the things of the Spirit of God. If you're addicted to anger, resentment, envy, if you're addicted to religious philosophies and ideologies and doctrines, that are not of the spirit of Christ, but the spirit of the Pharisees, then you're not going to see the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They are the blind guides. They can't see. Because they are not spiritual. They are cardinal. Religion, their religion is the opiate of the people. Christ's religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. You can't do that practically unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You can't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands if you're vain, proud, arrogant divisive and you won't change until you're willing to see the truth about your own heart you'll have seething anger inside you you'll blow up at your wife or your husband and you'll scream and you'll yell and you'll judge and you'll wonder where did that come from it came from what paul was talking about the deep things of god And the deep things of evil that are hidden in your heart by the traumas of your life. The people you have forgotten to forgive. So verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. How 
how do we judge all things? Well, not like the judgment of the he who is carnal. It's a different kind of judgment. We just bring light where there was darkness. That's that's all we're doing. We don't make the light. We don't produce the light. We don't regulate the light. We just, It just comes in with us. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now he's saying we. And of course we've had plenty of discussions about are you that we? Are you a part of that we? Are you a part of the way of Christ? Are you going the way of Christ? Well, if you have more questions on this, send them to the network. And we will add them to the page. We have some questions already. Can the mind of Christ and the mind of God in Christ be fully made known to us through the Holy Scriptures or through the Holy Spirit? Well, of course, it cannot be made known to us through the Holy Scriptures because that would reading the Holy Scriptures is a cardinal thing. The Bible is a cardinal thing. It may have been written by a spirit, but itself is a cardinal thing. It's just a book with words on it. And those words have definitions, and those definitions are in other books. It's a cardinal thing. It's a physical thing. It's the Holy Spirit. You have to sit down when you read the Scriptures with the Holy Spirit. If you sit down with the unholy Spirit, you will not get it. It will not be known to you. Can any man read the Holy Scriptures without using the pride of carnal reasoning, which is opposed to spirituality? Well, that's actually kind of a rhetorical question because we've already dealt with that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, you can't. You cannot sit down and read the Holy Scriptures without using the pride of carnal reasoning, which is opposed to spirituality. So you must sit down with the actual real Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit listeth where he wills. How do we bring the Holy Spirit to where we are sitting? Well, we have to follow the way. You see, repentance is a process. It's a changing of the mind by a changing of what we do. Now, if you just willfully go out and stop smoking, that is not going to cure all. It's a good start, maybe. But hopefully what you want to do is, you know, it's not about your will. You cannot will the Holy Spirit to come to you. You cannot will away the demons. You cannot sit in an apartment in Florida that is infested with roaches and will away the roaches. <laughs> you have to turn on the light. And then the roaches will scamper to every corner. And then you may have to try to kill some of them before they get out. <laughs> you know, let's not take the metaphor too far. But the reality is there are roaches in your temple. Their evil has gotten into those dark recesses of your your own mind and heart because you were not willing to see the evil that got into you when you were traumatized by evil. That's why evil traumatizes you. That's why, why it tries to upset you. That's why it tries to make you angry. That's why it tries to make you afraid. That's why it tries to make you feel alone and that there is no God. That's, that's the trauma and it wants to get in there and then you don't want to look at that trauma, that pain, 
And then that area of your mind becomes dark and the cockroaches can live in the darkness. And they can come out when you're asleep in the darkness of the night. And you don't want that. You go to our meditation page and you read that, but try to go there with the Holy Spirit, not with pride, not you're going to fix this. And try to learn to quieten your mind and find the ways of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit find you and show you the ways. And then gather with other people and they can say, you know, you think I'm getting a lot better and I'm doing really well and everything. Well, you are here, here, and here, but over here, you're still doing this. You're still holding resentment. You're still angry. You know, you're still mad at the this this group or that group. You're mad at the princes of the world. You don't need to be mad at the princes of the world. You don't need to be angry with them. It's not their fault. They're victims, too. You're supposed to love your enemy. Shine light where there is darkness. There's real power, but the power doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Are you a doer of the word, or are you making the word of God to not affect by your Corbin, by your vain philosophies, by worshiping the allegory and metaphor instead of walking in the ways of Christ? Again, it's a process. You can't make it come about. But right now, you're blocking the Holy Spirit with many of the things that have already gotten inside you that you're not willing to see. Your addictions to religion, your addictions to judgment, your addiction to anger, your addiction to fear, your addiction... I mean, the addictions to physical substances is just a manifestation of your spiritual addiction to the lie. You don't want to see the whole truth. You need to see the whole truth so that your eye be single, so that your eye sees the whole truth. You have you have a left eye and a right eye. Most of you do. I mean, somebody might add. But again, your physical body is a metaphor of your spiritual reality. You have a left and right brain. The right brain sees one thing. The left brain sees things another way. But it gives you perspective. You have to see the whole truth. And right now, most people are not willing to see the whole truth. They're not willing to see that they're under a strong delusion and they're not actually following Christ. They want to believe that they believe in Christ. And maybe a part of them does. If they're beginning to hear the message that we're sharing, that's a good sign. If they're beginning to see that, you know, I was cardinal in this. I was selfish in this. I was arrogant in my my religion. I thought I knew better. My religion is right. It's those other guys, you know, those Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Lutherans, Methodists, or, you know, I guess there's different synods amongst the Methodists and Lutherans, etc. You know, they are the ones. They are the problem. No, all the problems of the world start and end in your heart, in your mind, when you let the Spirit of God come into you. When you let that Spirit of God come into you, there will be a power that you have not seen, that has been a mysterious power to you up to this time, and up to the time that you start letting that in. But we're out of time. You're not out of time. Join the network. Join the Living Network by becoming, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and seek the kingdom. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.